Jason? Yep. Thanks Morning, for joining John. us here today at F3. Thanks for having me. The uh, diehards here who are going to walk away with a greater base of knowledge than anybody else who attended this conference by yeah, sticking around. Yeah, they just had to end. stick it out for three days. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, every company in the transportation space is looking at what autonomous vehicles and the energy transition is going to mean for them. DHL is no different. And today we have with us Jason Gillespie. He's a senior director of transportation solutions at DHL, and he's here to speak to us about what his company is doing. So again, welcome. Why don't you talk about where you are in the DHL hierarchy and what your particular group is? Yeah, that's a good question because DHL is a massive company. So I always like to kind of hone in on where we're at. So I'm part of DHL supply chain. We do contract logistics, uh, warehousing. We're one of the largest warehouse providers in the United States uh, with over 500 sites. And uh, we have over 2,000 power units in this sector of the business. Uh, Express is the business most people are familiar with, which is the parcel. And we have other business units that do global forwarding and e-commerce business. Is the parcel under your... And, And the parcel is not under mine. So I'm in the supply chain side of it. And uh, that's where the contract logistics are. Well, let's talk about the powertrain units. What's the kind of mileage that they put in? I mean, I'm sure the DHL, I mean, the the power units at DHL, the kind of broader, well, DHL Express probably go more mileage. I mean, what I'm trying to do is set up here your mileage needs as you go into the energy transition versus those of maybe your your, your sister operation. Yeah, in, in our fleets, we have a couple different solutions that we have with reefer units um, and, and smaller box trucks. And then we have the class eights that we that we also manage. So they're doing mostly local delivery, um, you know, a couple hundred, 500 mile kind of uh, trips uh, per day. Uh, lots of multi-stops and doing deliveries into stores and that kind of thing. So that's kind of the the side of it that we're doing in the U.S. Right, and that's very important chain. because obviously that lays out your needs being different than, let's say, somebody who's going long distance. So exactly. uh, where are, where do you stand? If somebody were to say, DHL, are they a leader in this now? Are you... Are you just trying to catch up to technology that's changing and demands that are changing all the time? Where do you stand? I'd say uh, if you'd asked me that question five or six years ago, we were catching up. Um, I'd say we're caught up and we're leading now. Uh, I feel confident about that with the changes we've made and the and the efforts we've put into the transportation solution itself. Uh, much more dedication, much more investment, um, you know, in creating roles that are feeding into this model and looking at how do we get better uh, with managing this network because. You know, when, when we had spot solutions working with the contracted sites in the past, they were very targeted and per customer. And now we're much more of, a, of an integrated solution uh, looking at the entire network and doing global freight. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the specifics. Where, what are some of the specific applications in, well, we won't talk about autonomous now. We'll yep. talk about, let's say, alternative fuels, mm-hmm. just different ways of powering your vehicles. Where are the, the applications that are kind of like the most advanced and where are you still catching up? So I, we, I hate to say catching up because that sounds like you're behind somebody, but where are the others that are lower on the progress yeah, scale? Yeah, that's a good question. I'd say the lower uh, efforts are around renewable diesel and renewable natural gas. It's not that we're not doing it. It's just that there's challenges with getting that infrastructure set up and, you know, getting the getting the fueling stations and everything and where that accessibility is for our network. Right. And the, the problem with renewable diesel, as we know is that it's so incentivized to be produced in California because of the low carbon fuel standard that if, you know, if you went in and said, well, we're going to put renewable diesel into our Madison, Wisconsin facility. I don't know if you have one, but I'm just pulling Madison out. You'd have a tough time finding that renewable diesel. And that's exactly the problem. So we, we, we're, we're working it, but it's a lower priority is how I would put it. Electric is, is obviously the, or it's obvious to us that it's kind of the end state. 
we see it as, you know, true, uh, no carbon, if you're getting it from renewable sources. And we do have sites where we're doing 94% renewable uh, electric electricity feeding into the electric vehicles. So that's really key for us that it's not just, you know, being fed by a coal mine, right? <laughs> that we're that we're truly getting clean electricity the best we can and and feeding it into the electric vehicles. Now, how did you arrange to get renewable electricity? I mean, usually what my understanding the way the contracts are is you strike a deal with the uh-huh. utility. Yep. You, you can't know that every watt didn't no. come from a coal from a burning of coal, but but your efforts to go in on renewable electricity will provide the utility and then uh, with, with with their incentive to make it somewhere. Yeah. So even if the, the watts aren't yours, aren't yep. being used by you, they're still out there because of you. Yeah. So what kind of deal did you structure? Yeah. And, and, and it, that's the good thing about being such a large player in the real estate side of this, where we have so many sites. And I mentioned the 500 plus sites where we, and we have campuses. We're working out those deals with the electric companies locally to make sure that those facilities are renewable. So our goal with any new facility we stand up is to be carbon neutral um, with offsets today as part of that. But by 2050, offsets are out, you know, so we got a long time, but, you know, it's, it's still a hard path to get there. Are you using any of that, that real estate to use to put in solar panels? Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. Solar. And, and that depends on the, uh, you know, who the, who the shipper is we're working with and how much we want to invest in that because, you know, we, we don't own the facility, but we do spec it, we build it and, uh, and, and run it for our customers. So we usually partner with our customer to put in the solar and, uh, and take advantage of that. I know what kind of equipment are you using on site that is, you know, powered by electricity? Or, I mean, look, I was going to say, or I was going to say, or something else, but clearly you made, you know, you made it clear that electricity is your thing. You're not looking at hydrogen, renewable gas, or diesel at this and point. And we've done all of it, right? I mean, and that's the good thing about DHL is we're, we're big enough to to kind of place bets on these different emerging technologies and work with multiple partners. And we've done We've done hydrogen uh, years ago uh, with uh, with yard vehicles. We've we've done uh, we've got multiple yard vehicles in place now that are electric, and that's kind of becoming the solution because it's such a good application for electric. Um, and then yeah, so uh, and then we've done pilots, and we're working with multiple OEMs to get the class eights uh, electric as well. So who are your sources? I mean, are you buying from companies like Rivian or who? And you know, I know that within like a warehouse. There are applications that aren't quite as sexy. They don't get all the uh, the, the attention, you know, like like electric-powered forklifts, that kind of thing. All of that, yeah. And I couldn't possibly name all the providers we work with, uh, but some of the big ones we're working with. Volvo, we've announced partnerships with them on the on their electric vehicles, and uh, we, we've got multiple vehicles on order with them um, and, and others as well. Um, and with the yard trucks, we work with Orange. Um, so we, we've got multiple players that we're working with. Uh, and, and, you know, every so often you hear about a, uh, somebody, a company that went deep in on on making vehicles and they find their funding's drying up, whatever you, you've been, I mean, you, you mentioned orange. I haven't heard their name in a while. These are, you, you feel pretty solid yeah, about their, yeah. their prospects. And it, what's good about doing that is we can partner with some of these companies when they're kind of younger and, and help them develop, you know, and on, and on the warehouse side, it's something we did with a company called Locus Robotics. So we, we were able to partner with them early on and help build their solution to work into our solution. And now it's, it's, a, it's a deployed product at multiple sites. So we have hundreds of sites using those uh, autonomous, um, you know, warehouse bots. I know where is, um, where is the spending on this stand? Obviously, there's upfront capital expenditures, but there's upfront capital expenditures in your business no matter what. Even mm-hmm. if you were still using, let's say, a diesel-powered event, you would have had to buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the electric vehicles tend to cost more. 
but then obviously there's savings in uh-huh. the fuel, but there's also savings on wear and tear, uh, the health within the facilities. Yep. Uh, I mean, how has it been so far? This isn't a, this is not necessarily an investment that's going to pay off right away. Right. And 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 so at the corporate highest level of DHL, we've made a seven billion dollar obligation that we put out in the world and said we're gonna we're gonna invest that over the next five seven years into uh, this kind of technology and sustainability. Um, what we do today, though, especially as we get more product focused with some of our solutions, is we just build it into the cost model. And so when we go to deploy with a new customer, it's built in, and it's not, and it might, and it's probably offsetting labor or it's offsetting other costs, like you said on on the trucks. We got to figure that out. Um, but to your point, there should be maintenance benefits and and other things in the long run. Now the customer, you keep mentioning the customers. On the one hand. You know, the easy thing to say is, oh, they don't care, you know, if it's the forklift is driven by propane or by electricity. But they have, many cases, their own goals, their exactly. own ESG principles to meet. Uh, they are looking at the full life cycle of their processes. So are you finding that they are very willing partners in this? Yeah, yeah. and, and the customers we work with all have their own uh, sustainability targets. Uh, and, and, and it just be, may be where we fit in the waterfall of their priorities. So if, if transportation is only 5% of their total carbon emission, they're going to focus elsewhere on their water and on their factories and on everything else. But we can help bring that to them. And that's what we try to do. So we, whether we own the scope three emission or they do, we work to manage that down uh, with the customer as part of our total program. Yeah, and I, that is directly I, under my purview. We try not to get too political here, but you know, I can't help but I can't help but think that I know ESG principles have become very much a political uh, hot potato. And when I hear somebody like you speaking, what it kind of drives home the point is no matter what goes on in Washington about them, these are not Washington mandates. Companies are all in on them yeah. and they are not going to walk away from them quite as easily as I think some people think. That's right. I mean, we're not seeing that at all. Uh, and in fact, it's just getting more and more important that we talk about these things. And, and very often, you know, I, I come in prepared to talk to sustainability as almost a leading topic when we're meeting with our customers or even a prospective new customer. So it's it's very important. And like you said, I don't think it matters to us because to me, a lot of what we're doing for sustainability just makes sense business-wise in the long run. You know, So if we can get to where trucks break down less, uh, where we have autonomous vehicles uh, helping to offset the driver shortage, uh, where we can solve some of that longer mile uh, haul, it makes sense. You know, there's service benefits. There could be cost benefits. There's, you know, tying in the electric with the autonomous is a, is a big deal and something I'm going to work very hard at to make sure we can do when it's ready. Let's talk about autonomous. Uh, you know, I, I always find that the autonomous conversation gets kind of tied in with the whole uh, energy transition. And I don't necessarily think they're the same. You can have energy transition going at a very rapid pace and autonomous kind of going slow. But what are you doing with autonomous? And and is it tied to energy transition or you're just going to see how the, they both go at whatever pace? So I've learned a lot about this. Um, you, you're right. It doesn't. They're not tied. And to me, where electric makes sense is on the first and last mile, which you know, is the name of this presentation, more or less, um, is that you know we can use human drivers, electric vehicles to do those first and last mile. Um, And then you feed into a hub. And then the hub can handle the autonomous. And then it's fine if it's an internal combustion engine. Um, We we know the technology is going to be a while before we can slap a great big battery on these vehicles that already have a lot of redundancy and braking and the the, the gear and everything that goes into making it autonomous in the first place. So a company like Volvo, who we work with, and we know a lot about, we work with Emerge, uh, 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 I'm sorry, Embark, um, who's here. 
but we, we, we know that they're putting a lot of redundancy into those systems and it makes the truck very heavy. So it's not ready to be a battery just yet. Um, but as we learn more about these, these autonomous trucks and where we can peel back some of that redundancy, maybe get the truck lighter, then I think you can think about battery. Do you spend time, you maybe have, I'm sure DHL has economists looking at the long-term supplies of lithium and cobalt and vanadium and, and other battery metals, and, and how much does that concern you? I mean, you know, it, I, I was at a conference a, a month or two ago where that, it, it does concern me, and it does concern me how how they can even deliver these vehicles. And so that's why we're working with partners who we know we can, they can deliver, and they're going to sort out that, that, ba- that battery supply chain. And, uh, and I've also learned a lot about how batteries themselves will become renewable, um, because why throw it away, right? You've got uh, most of the elements in there that you can do some refreshing and renewing of the battery. So I know there's going to be a battery kind of return supply chain that's going to happen once we start chewing through the battery life. Yeah, early in my career, I worked for American Metal Market, and I covered what we call the alloys beat. And basically, it was all the metals that weren't aluminum, copper, you know, the main non-ferrous. And I covered cobalt. Hmm. And cobalt is an amazing metal. I mean, it probably is the world's most amazing metal. It's got great high-temperature properties, and now it's a battery metal. And it's produced in some of the most volatile parts of the world. I mean, it's great. You know, why can't it it be produced in Portugal or something like that? You know, no, it's produced in what was in the 80s, Zaire, and now Democratic Republic of Congo. And I know as a result of that, you know, battery makers are trying to engineer themselves away from cobalt. And that, to me, that kind of just raises the question of that sustainability of of batteries. Yeah. And you, 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 you can do without cobalt, but here you're taking a great battery metal and tossing it aside because of politics. Right. Yeah, that's it's all very it's all very interesting and I've learned a lot about how lithium's even mined and and, and you know that's not very efficient today is yeah. my understanding. So uh, roughly 30% of what they mine actually makes it into uh, usable lithium. So that's got to be fixed. I know there's companies out there working on that. So I think it's it's all yeah, when you get further and further and further down that supply chain, where does this stuff come from is it's a tricky challenge, and that's why I'm glad we're working with the, the best people to figure that out. <laughs> All right. Well, then maybe this solution is one of the world's most common elements, which is hydrogen. Now, you made reference to the fact that you've done some hydrogen work. My view is that certainly for a Class 8 vehicle, battery has no future. It's got to be hydrogen, but that creates its own set of problems. Yeah. So where do you stand on, on hydrogen? Yeah, and, and again, you know, uh, it's not high on our priority. We've done it with yard vehicles. I just haven't seen the the applications and the and the and the, the technology that says there could be a class eight application there, um, we're open to anything, right? And, and if it, and if that comes forward, we'll take a look at it for sure. It's just not not on the list right now. Right, so, what are some of the next applications you expect to be rolling out within your operation? Um, we talked about some specifics. Uh, what are what are the next big steps you're going to take? Well, I mean, you know, the big steps we got to take is how do we sort out this hub I mentioned with autonomous? How do you how do you make uh, the 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 non driving driver work is what I call it. Um, drivers do a lot more than just drive the truck. You know, there's the pre trip, there's there's everything the fueling and everything. And if something goes wrong, who handles that? So we're sorting out and working with our partners on what that infrastructure looks like, what has to happen at the hub. Um, you know, the additional complexity because I, I tell everyone, you know, this is coming, and at first it's going to be hard to get some of that set up. Um, where today a human driver just does point to point, and it's it's simpler. So if we start creating this network, we're going to have to sort out that that challenge. You mentioned carbon offsets. How big a role is that playing now? And do I get the sense that 
you would like the, the role of carbon offsets to decline yes. as you get to your uh, goals by actual applications. Yeah, it definitely plays a role today and, and on the warehousing side of the business. And I can't tell you what the percentage is offhand, um, but it plays a role. And it's something that, you know, we're, you know, is including as part of our package with our customers. But knowing that over time, that's going to that's going to diminish. All right. So give us a broad picture on how optimistic you are about the energy transition for this industry. A broad view of um, I'm optimistic. I have to be optimistic. It's part of my job. Part so. of job. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got to just say, hey, it's all possible. Um, you know, I'm excited about the the potential of it. You know, so uh, I think I think we're going to get there. It's just a matter of time. Okay, we want to thank Jason Gillespie of DHL Supply, Supply Chain. Chain. Okay, yes. want to make that make sure that's clear. Uh, they will not be bringing you your presents from presents yeah, if, from if your package from is Europe, lost. Your... Don't don't come ask. Right. Me about okay. It. So I'll get uh, you somebody. Thank you for joining <laughs> us here today at F3. Okay. Thanks yeah. for having me. Okay. <clears throat>